I'm your host, Shar Adams, and this is COVID University, New York. COVID-19 vaccines are finally here. After nearly a year of hundreds of thousands of deaths and millions of cases, many are breathing a sigh of relief because of the new vaccines. But experts say we're not out of the woods just yet. Vaccines don't mean that the pandemic is magically and abruptly over. We're still being told to take precautions like wearing masks and staying six feet from each other. And there are so many questions surrounding the vaccines. Will they be accessible to everyone? Are there any side effects? How long before we can get back to normal life? A small group of eligible people like healthcare workers around the country have been getting vaccinated. So it's too early to tell just what the vaccine's impacts will be on the country. Even though they aren't widely available just yet, a lot of people have already declared that they likely won't get vaccinated. Black people particularly are skeptical of the vaccines due to centuries of racism in medicine. And that's another aspect of the pandemic that the government needs to account for and address. These concerns are totally valid and any outreach being done to persuade people to take the vaccines need to prioritize that fact. Experts say that at least 80% of the U.S. population would have to be vaccinated for the pandemic to be over. And although many COVID vaccines are in the works, there are two that are available now. And according to the CDC, they're in short supply. The next year will be very important amid the pandemic. With a new president and new vaccines, we're getting to a whole other side of this health crisis. And only time will tell if things will get worse or better. My name is Mohamed Tussar. I'm an undergrad student studying pre-med at Brooklyn College. And with this COVID semester and the COVID year that we have gone through, Coronavirus has essentially stopped me from associating with any of my friends. My mom was worse than Governor Cuomo was for lockdowns, and she really had us at home the whole time. And it really messed with like my mental health and like how I was able to interact with people because I would see the same faces every day. And of course, that's my family, <laughs> but you don't like to see the same faces all the time. And as interactive beings, as humans as we are, we like to be outside. But that's like the precautions that my mom took, like to the extreme. She didn't want us to step outside for groceries. She's like, it's okay. Uh, we have enough to eat for like the next two months. We're not leaving this house. And like, whenever we would leave, she would like have us in like, you know, PPE. And I'll be like, yo, the, the medical doctors don't even have it, and we have this whole suit right here. But she went really above and beyond for us. My name is uh, Ana Lucia Fuentes. I actually go by the name Lucia. And I'm a professor at LaGuardia Community College, CUNY. So I'm not alone in saying and feeling that 2020 was a pretty tragic year, even though I suffered a tragic loss myself. I've been very lucky in that I have very, very supportive family and friends, and also in many ways the support of my students, which actually gave me hope and a sense of uh, wanting to keep on going in this year. My name is Dr. Scott Ratson. I'm uh, a distinguished lecturer at the City University of New York School of Public Health and Health Policy. 
And I've been there since the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, we have looked at the issues that are affecting New Yorkers and specifically looking at the COVID-19 pandemic's evolution. And I've been pleased, if I can say that, that we've been able to have a major contribution in that understanding what New Yorkers are thinking and doing at the early phase of the pandemic, and now more specifically in 2021, how they are hopefully making the appropriate decisions to get vaccinated, to protect themselves and their family, to protect the community, and to build back better in this new era of living with COVID. Early on in March, my husband, who was a psychiatrist, said he wasn't feeling very well. He said he had a bit of a stomach ache. And uh, because of all things I had heard, I was very concerned. And I said, be careful, because this thing is really contagious. You know, just be, be mindful. But he was very keen. He always went in to see his patients. He didn't want to stop seeing his patients. And then I insisted at that time it was like surfaces and so I gave him alcohol and the whole bit. At that time, from what I know now, is he was already infected. And in fact, he infected me and my son, my son who's, who's a doctor. He's a resident right now. He's doing his residency. It was my son who insisted that he take a COVID test. And when he did take the COVID test, he came out positive. And from then on, it was downhill. So it was a shock, of course. It was... Uh, it was really tough, very, very tough. Students were amazing. Obviously, they were shocked, but it was just this dynamic that developed where they saw that I was going to keep on going and trying to find ways in which we could make this learning process and what we were doing in our life meaningful in order to continue and to help others that were obviously in really difficult situations. We have a health communication for social change program. And what's exciting about this at the graduate level, we have students from all parts of careers, some of whom are already physicians that are working in the Bronx, others that are just out of uh, undergraduate wanting to develop community work, others that are, are looking at ways that we can use communication to affect social change, to make the world a better place. And we believe, we're a school of public health, that health is the common currency that we all share. And nothing has been more important than to see the importance of health during this COVID pandemic. So it's been particularly rewarding to be a faculty member at the CUNY School of Public Health, to be able to have graduate students, other current students and graduates involved with our project that we now call CONVINCE, which stands for COVID New Vaccine Information Communication and Engagement. And this initiative, based at CUNY School of Public Health, is aimed to provide the education, is aimed to help give people the information they need to attain vaccine literacy, which we believe is fundamental for a better world. You know, the skepticism started because of like of the lack of knowledge, you know, like, you know, for me, it was that I was like, oh, this vaccine is being rushed. The way that everything is going is being, it feels like it's rushed, right? But when you actually sit down and look at it, they had years of research of other coronaviruses like you know SARS so you have those that you can look at and you can see since it's in the same family that it will be able to have similar characteristics right so because of that um, I have more faith in the uh, the vaccine now and I'm waiting to actually get it because SUNY Downstate uh, actually has um, openings 
but they're giving it to the healthcare workers first before they give it to like regular students. In order to be able to explain how vaccines work, there needs to be a clear uh, and simple sort of explanation of how vaccines, how vaccines are really based on our own natural response to foreign molecules, and that includes bacteria or viruses. So we naturally respond, and so taking advantage of, of this response, then scientists develop, you know, these diminished particles that don't have the properties uh, of infectivity of the viruses or they're not pathological, they don't cause disease, but they cause our body to respond as though, you know. But I think that that there there's no clear explanation of that. I, I really see, like, and, and it's difficult to make it simple. How we put out information is only one part of this because information in and of itself does not change behavior. It's people understanding the information. It's people processing the information. It's their ability to share it with others and get clarity. So we've learned in the health communication field that people get this through a variety of sources. The most trusted source for most people still continues to be their doctor. And it could be their personal doctor or a doctor they know. Sometimes it's they get their information from television, they might get the info, but they might not trust the info. And then similarly, we have that challenge with people that only get their information via uh, mobile devices or mobile sites. So what we're trying to do is come up with what are the ethical core communication messages and materials that people will need to know? What do I need to know to do? And it, it may seem fairly simple, but first people need to know that COVID is real. Uh, most people in New York do. Um, most people know somebody who's been positive or somebody who's been sick. Uh, but yet, across the whole country, everybody does not agree with this. We've got conspiracy theories. We have other activities that are changing the narrative away from truth and facts. I did a lot of reading from, like, you know, science journals and, like, whatever information was out there, I was reading it and I was absorbing it. And that's how you are able to, like, you know, educate other people that don't really get to read those type of papers or won't understand it because, like, there's a huge gap of why people are scared to take it because they don't understand the terminology or, like, they don't understand what it means to get vaccinated, right? As a pre-med, we have to be informed on this because this is one of our cases that we're going to have to deal with later on. If it's not, if it's not active, it's going to be a case study of so much type of things we can see in the future. Like, oh, patient is 50 years old, past history, has coronavirus. And we'll be like, you know, in our 30s and we're like, oh man, remember coronavirus? That was 10 years ago. But, you know, you see how like it's important for us to be in the form on it because it's going to affect us down the line. Because like I said before, there's going to be long lasting issues because of this. For us, so I, I work in immunology and it's so complicated, but then I think, no, but it has to be simplified. And there are always ways to simplify. But I think there, I mean, I think there's several things that need to be explained more clearly in order for people to be more accepting. And I think that they need to hear it from people in their community as well. And so this is why I've encouraged my 
students who right now, my students did another little brochure, it's all on vaccines. And we're just in the midst of getting it all finished and done. And what we want to do there is explain how our system works, how our immune system works, how our defense system works, and how vaccines come from that process. And then the different types of vaccines, and then those this idea of herd immunity, which we've heard a lot, but a lot of people don't really, you know, haven't really understood that concept. And so the students themselves are, have put this brochure together, and there still needs to be some translations made. And then what I'd like them to do is to distribute it within their communities. And this was what we did the first semester as well. And again, the idea behind that was that to empower students to feel that the, 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 the value in their being educated and an understanding is huge. They have so much access to people that no one else has access to. In the United States, in January 2021, two vaccines have been approved for emergency use authorization. One is the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the other one is, is a Moderna vaccine. Now, both of those are what they call mRNA vaccines. So they actually put, they do not put live virus in, they put a, a signal that gets the body to prepare for response should they be exposed to the actual virus. Both of vac those vaccines require two doses to get to the 94% plus level of efficacy, what we call it, or effectiveness, or basically meaning it will work 94% of the time. Neither of them should have major side effects, and both of them are you know, expected to work. These are not mix and match. You don't say, oh, I'm gonna take this one, and then I'll, if it's not ready, wait for the next one, or three weeks, or four weeks, or five weeks. There, there is a protocol that they've been approved, and for them to work best, people need to adhere to the recommendations from the city health department, the state health department, the CDC, as well as the um, physician or group that has delivered the vaccine. One thing I wish people would talk about more is that no steps were skipped, right? When you're looking at this vaccine, right, a lot of people were like, oh, it's rushed, it's rushed, right? But none of the steps in the FDA process was skipped. The only thing that happened was that the FDA was able to look at cases like uh, Pfizer's cases, BioNTech, right? Uh, they were able to look at their cases quicker. Like usually if you submit a vaccine or any medicine to the FDA, right? They, it usually takes three months for them to even accept your application, right? And another three months for them to review your application. But in this case, the FDA was specifically assigned to these vaccine candidates so they can actually look at it and like make sure that it's valid because, you know, you don't want it to get lost in the paperwork. And that's what usually happens, you know, when you're you're submitting for these type of things. Right. And it's a pressing matter. Right. So the FDA was on top of it. Right. So we shouldn't think that it was rushed. We just have to appreciate that in a global pandemic where everyone was going crazy, the scientists were able to step up and deliver. They want to know, is it safe? Full stop. They want to know, you know, is, is this a, an attempt to put, you know, a genetically modified organism into my system and be tracked? Is this going to cause, you know, something for, you know, my kids or lack of being able to have kids? I mean, we get some weird questions when you ask open-ended questions to, you know, random people. If people have those, we need to continue to remind them, though those are not factual. 
but the piece that is factual is it is safe. It has met the level of safety that was important for the Food and Drug Administration, which has approved all sorts of drugs and vaccines in the past, to have a level of safety that they have the confidence that we're injecting a vaccine into healthy people to protect them against getting sick, and it will work. It's a challenge. The CONVINCE stands for the I, C, and the E are information, communication, and engagement. And the E in engagement is important. How do we engage the communities who've asked us sometimes for the information, but we're only going to be able to give kind of like the scientific or medical uh, points that I've raised with you today. But they need to be able to talk about this in a way that people understand at the time they're asking the questions, whether it's engagement during a sermon, whether it's engagement during a community meeting, during a school-based discussion, a, a community health board meeting at the borough level, whatever it might be, we're doing our best to to get the information out that this is important to consider the seriousness, to get people to know that in East Harlem, for example, by our School of Public Health, that there's a, a vaccine site that's available that you can register via you know, nyc.gov slash COVID vaccine and find out more information. And most people are eligible or will be eligible and it's free. So uh, we need to take down those barriers. We need the people to know that this is, this is happening all around the city, uh, all around the United States. And we're doing our best to help get that information out that way. And then think about people as 40,000 people that work for the MTA and are working on subways and driving buses and, you know, working in these facilities and maintenance and so forth. All these people are on the eligibility list too. So we need to get, we need to get New York back to work. We need to build back better and we need to build back safer and build back healthier. So we're trying to get the messages out through all sorts of channels and welcome any of your listeners, anybody that's in the 275,000 current CUNY student population or the half a million that might be just recently graduated. We have a, an incredible footprint here in, um, in New York and we need everyone to, to be part in, in helping build back our society in New York and world with these ethical standards and equity for everyone to get vaccinated. This might be one of the most monumental challenges of our time, certainly the, the most difficult one in the 21st century. You know, we obviously, New Yorkers made it back from, from September 11th, which was the first challenge we had this century. But this one is, is, is broader and bigger in terms of how we, um, we, we protect every individual citizen one by one with vaccines. One of the things I really felt hopeful about when I when this was first happening was the collaboration between scientists from all different places. So, you know, the fact that the, the Chinese scientists gave the sequence to the World Health Organization, the sequence of the virus, and that enabled scientists from all around the world to work with that sequence. So it was like very, very quickly sharing you know, sharing information. And, you know, I, I think it illustrates the fact that when the world and when scientists and to some extent some politicians put their efforts into these types of initiatives, things move. Yeah, things move because there is the human potential there. And um, 
even though I know that normally it takes a lot longer to to produce vaccines, it's usually because you don't have like you know hundreds of of, of very high high end labs working on those vaccines. America is a funny place. <laughs> you know, we ask for something, and then when we get it, we get upset about it. So it's like you know, um, we just have to pick and choose our battles here and like you know if we want to go back to a sense of normalcy we have to do what is necessary for us to get there i don't mind it being uh mandatory we already had things like that before we have mandatory vaccines that we have to take in order to get into schools right like when you submit your forms to like your whatever uh health uh, office at your school right like at cuny before we came in we had to give them an immunization records right and they had to see all the like the shots that i got and if I don't have the shot, I'm posing a threat to the whole student body, right? And we got to understand, we live in the city of New York. It's virtually impossible to disinfect New York. Like, it's like we have way too much people in this small piece of areas. It won't be the first time that vaccines have become mandatory. I just feel like this time around, it's going to be a lot of pushback to it because there's a lot of, uh, like, you know, political aspects to this now because it first started as a pandemic now became a political agenda apparently you know and it sucks that you know a lot of people are putting politics into health when we should just be focusing on health because the longer we look at the politics of things the uh, longer we're stuck in indoors and people getting upset about uh you know being indoors and such forth you know let's just get back to a a sense of normalcy you know i'm really (laughs) i'm really tired of looking at these four walls here (laughs) The vaccine will not protect everybody in society until about 80% of the people are protected with the vaccine. So that means we need almost nine out of 10 people to take the vaccine, whether it's in New York City or even in the United States. So we need 250 million about uh, people in the country to take it. That will confer what we sometimes people hear the word herd immunity. I call it community protection and others do too, that we can protect the community from this virus if we have 90% of our people vaccinated. While we're getting to that number, there is the possibility that the vaccine, that the virus still can be transmitted. The vaccine has, was tested to prevent the severity of the disease, meaning that if you have the vaccine and you get exposed, you could still be infective, but most likely will not get the, the symptoms that would require hospitalization or could potentially lead to death. That's what the vaccine protects against. It primes your immune system if, if you are exposed to rid of the virus or rid of the symptoms and severity of the virus. We do not know yet if you actually have the vaccine, even from the first dose to the second, and you are exposed, if you still can transmit that virus to somebody in the same room, somebody, you know, by breathing, you know, air in a in a place that's, you know, you're less than two meters away or six feet away from somebody. So that's the piece of data, if we can say that, that we're not certain because it hasn't been tested through the public health epidemiology, which is the term we use for field research to actually look how it is in action. We will have that answer, and many people believe that it will likely be like other vaccines that will prevent that kind of transmission, but you know, it has not been approved by the authorities to do that just yet. Yet, if you are out there listening to this and you have not got vaccinated and you are eligible and you want to protect yourself 
and family and other people that you will be in contact with, the vaccine is the best protection we have, better than a mask, although you still need to do the mask, and better than the other measures that we have in place today. Close to me, like a lot of people did catch corona because like I have a lot of friends and like uh, mentors that are in the pre-med area and like, you know, are actually in hospitals and such for us. And I have one of my friend's mom who was an ICU nurse at Mount Sinai. And if you know, Mount Sinai had the most COVID cases there. So like just hearing her experience just made me fall in love even more with this, um, this MD route because you have the chance to save people's lives. And like seeing people get better is the best thing. So coronavirus was bad at the start, but it's given me a hopeful future. You know, the death under COVID was horrific in every way because you have no time for, you don't have your family around you. You don't have anything. You're, you know, I had my son, uh, we were both sick, but we were well enough that we could support each other. So I took, Somebody took my class for that week, and then the next week I started with my students again. And when I first met with my students, I actually told them, I said, uh, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. I said, um, my husband died of COVID, but this is not going to deter us from keeping on. And on the contrary, this is going to give us strength to continue. And so that was my... That was sort of the story of 2020. It was just this, you know, ongoing sense of loss, but at the same time of understanding what we can gain under these circumstances. And particularly, uh, I think the main thing that I felt was that I could give the students a sense of what they could give to their families, to their communities, from learning. And from learning not only, obviously from learning about COVID, but, but just from learning about science and about society and about how we're immersed and how everything is interrelated. And that's how I moved along. And that's what has given me strength. And that's why I feel today that, you know, I still have an impetus and a desire to to work with my students and to continue and to maybe go even beyond that with them. My name is Shar Adams, and this is COVID University, New York. It was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, executive producer Peter Christian Eigner. This is a co-production of the Gotham Center for New York City History and Race Car Radio. Initial funding for this series was generously provided by the Seed Time Fund and Lauren Kramer. If you have feedback for us, you can reach us through our Facebook page or email us at coviduniversity at racecarradio.com. If you like the show, please subscribe now and never miss an episode. Just go to racecarradio.com or find us on any of your favorite podcast apps.